Welcome, welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm your host, Anthony J. Resta, and we're going to jump into part two of the Phil Green episodes. Another great artist that I love um, that you worked with, who I also worked with at one point, was Peter Wolf. Can you give us some background on some stuff? Oh, yeah. You t- you know, we got to talk about Peter because he's you know another legend yes. that you worked with. I uh, I worked on the one long line with Johnny A and Stu Kimball. I didn't work on that record, but tell us about working with Mick Jagger and 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 that and all that stuff. You know, I, I was mixing. Okay. I was a mixer. Okay. That all started. I was. I was. Two thousand one, right after you know the towers went down. Yep. I built this live truck for a guy because I kind of retired, but then that got bored, boring real quick. I was like fifty one with nothing to do. I sold my studio. I saw all these ADATs coming in and the budget's going down. I said, I can't support a studio like this with this kind of money. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. The big SSLs in the studios are not going to. You know, people can't pay for this. And all these tube mics and stuff is just. It's not. It's unrealistic, right? Yeah. So I, I sat around and retired for about two or three weeks. I said, I mean, to sit around and watch beer, watch TV and drink beer? No, I don't think so. Go, go to a club and chase, chase women? No. Uh, so but I built this truck. So we got we got a lot of good, we're doing the back, we're doing the black clothes at the office. Okay. Yeah, you know, when you go in, you know, you come off the street, you, that, you get that thing where you come in, we're parked inside, but they don't ever let anybody put the truck was there because they had to, because the only way the snake could reach the street, okay. reach the stage. Through the front doors. Yeah. So it's a mobile truck, and and you, this is how you you guys did. I'm doing the black cross. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so so Peter comes into the truck. Peter comes sauntering into the truck. What are you doing? I says, Well, I got all my levels. I got all my sounds. I'm mixing. I'm recording two nights straight. Other than changing tapes and keeping everything labeled, which my assistant's doing. I'm kind of sitting here listening to it on the headphones. I ain't got nothing to do. I'm not going to go be playing with labels. I'm be able to mix playing with levels. I'm be able to mix this damn thing. Okay. And so he says. He had this nice black Audi. He will come out and listen to this album. So it was that, that album that I, that we ended up doing in New York, uh, the, the, the Sleepless Record. I worked on a long line album. Tom did most of that. But I I, 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 I mixed some of that because Peter wasn't completely happy with all of Tom's mixes. Uh, he mixed that long view, I think, in the barn. Yep, I was there. Yep. Oh, you were there? Okay, yep. Well, yep. you know I'm right. Yep. Anyway, um... So so he, so Peter so Peter brings out to the car and plays on a long line album. I mean uh Sleepless album, which ended up being on a billboard top five hundred albums of all time. I think it's four twenty seven or somewhere around there. And I said, musically, this album's great. And I said, It's gonna be great when you mix it. Peter looks over at me and says, It is mixed. <laughs> well, I felt I felt I felt like, you know, hiding you know, hiding underneath the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well you're but honest. That was my honest opinion listening to it, you yeah. know. So guess where I was next week? Mixing it. I was 48th Street mixing it. For- <laughs> <laughs> oh, so your honesty got you a gig. Yeah, but I wasn't trying to like put them down or say this no, sucks. No, or- no, no, just speaking your mind. I said, just, I said, just musically, it's great. You get great players. I love the song. It also had already been rejected by the label three or four times too, but I'm not sure it was the mixes so much as the order. He had 18 songs. He, he got it down to 12. But he never picked the right 12 in the right order. And you know that song, Homework? Yes. That was a warm-up. But somebody went red on a warm-up. That wasn't, that wasn't even supposed to ever get recorded. But they're playing around, and somebody, you know, they're going to run doing it again. You know, they're just, they're, you know, the old Jay Gal sign, they're just doing it, like, really funky, their version. And like it's way too low for Peter, so he's either like a half an octave too low for him or half an octave too high. It was in the wrong key, but but Peter played a good way down low, like that. And it, it it just it worked. Yeah, that was not a starter. So I'm sitting there with Steve, 
So we're, we're woolly mammoths. We're assembling it, right? And uh, he kept saying, they sent, he sent it back. He says, I don't think it's a mastering. I don't think it might have been a bit the mixes, but we got mixes now. He says, I think it's the order. So me and Stu, particularly Stu said, why don't you, show, why don't you put some homework right there? You know, remember Stu Kimball, right? Yeah, of course. We we worked together on the Longline album, and he was just such a kind, wonderful dude to be around. Solid as a rock, too. Johnny A is amazing, too. I mean, is that good? It's not like they were short on guitar players. No, there. Johnny's incredible. I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, love Johnny. His tone, he just gets these magical tones. He's put so much expression in, into every note. He's just so good. I mixed an album of his I'm pretty proud of in 2001 in New York. Oh, no way. No way. That, that um, what is it called? Get Inside. Okay. Cool. That's a really good album. You, you know, I went in there. Bobby Nason don't believe in EMG plays acoustic chambers. It's all this digital, 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 digital. There's no such thing as a real reverb in that place, okay? But I love the sound of A room. I love that board. You know, I like the room, except, you know, I digital reverbs on drums really bother Yeah. They just kind of, unless I want it to sound weird on purpose. Well, you know, the AMS, that period where everybody was using the nonlinear um, thing, it was like. Oh, you mean the, the gated, the, the one you didn't have to gate because they gated itself? Yeah. <laughs> And but that's that just a copy of a gated reverb. Yeah, you know, but I I had one of those. I never use that damn thing. I hate it. They're so expensive, and it costs about nine and ten grand. So it was an expensive thing not to use. Yeah. But the other one, the harmonizer, my sample was thing, the fifteen eighty S, use that all the time. Yeah, Bob used to love that one too. We used to trigger kick and snare from him. They, they were, they a were... great, 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 great drum trigger thing. Okay. I use that. That was a big part of the sound of the new kids because I just about retreat everything except that first song was real 808s and I just left them 808s. That's about the only thing I did. I don't think I ever triggered on. But um, that other that other box I never I liked the 224s, but I also had an EMT plate I really really liked and I kept well tuned and that was like my main vocal. Love that on with pre delay a EMT plate with pre delay is just a beautiful sound. It's a classic. I sure is. You know what my trick was? I have a little tiny bit around the vocal, just not much. Then, like, you know, either like a dotted ace on one side and an ace on the other, or an ace on one side and a dot will go left to right. And then you you put more reverb up. Even if it's a short reverb, it'll sound like a long reverb. Wow. Because it's got free delay on it. it. It gives you the size of the room without the length of the reverb muddying up every time. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. And it's very stereo, too. It's like, it, it just, it's in headphones, it's a really special thing. This is the kind of stuff that... Yeah, listen to Vocal on Walking Nerve by Nils Lofgren. I mixed that in about 91. I use that a lot. Like the plate with a dotted ace, yeah. eight dotted ace, like that, yeah. going into with a short plate. You know, it's not a fucking right. That's you cool. Know what I mean? That's amazing. There's a company that I do a lot of some work with, um, my friend Sean Weitzman over at Arturia. They make really good um, plug-in versions of some of these pieces of gear, and they do really, really good good versions. And they make a an EMT plate... Um, with a bunch of different models, and it's it's a, it's pretty scary good. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll try to actually. I'll, I'll I'll hook you up with that so you could check it out. Um, it's really really. I scary. like. I had an ST140, but I even like. I had one record to Bob Clermont and just on calling notes. He makes an electric lady after he got in an argument with uh, the guys at uh, Power Station. Yep. And and it was uh, two of those old mono plates, the old tubers. Yep. He had two of the old mono. Plates, you know, the, the, the originally came a model because everything came out in mono. There's no reason to have a stereo plate, okay? Yeah. yeah. The original EMT plates are model in their tube. That's and right. He, and, and, and Electric Lady had a pair of them. 
Bob would do is put one on one because they never sound the same. No two plays sound anything like each other. No matter how close you try to do them, every place is different. It's like microphones. When they say uh, match pair of microphones, the biggest lie in the world is also. I remember Fletcher trying to sell me a pair of mice that had it, a, a, adjacent serial numbers. I said, it wouldn't matter if there were 3,000 numbers of pots. They, 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 they would sound no closer than if they were adjacent. That is baloney. That's a, like a I myth. Said, yeah. When you tension a condenser capsule, you're down to like 10,000 of a gram. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's impossible to get it perfectly, right? Anyway. Well, that's a studio so, secret. So, you're, you're doing a myth buster right there. You know, because like, how many years have we heard all oh, the matching pair, matching pair, matching pair? So that, you know, yeah. but <laughs> maybe B and K's are probably the closest, which are DDAs or something, AD, you know, whatever they B and K's became. Yeah, yeah, the 4006s or 4000s. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, you know, those are always pretty close because those are really high end class. Uh, calibration mics, but they're beautiful on uh, Omni. A lot of times, not really good sound for recording. I like color. Yeah, two, 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 those really flat mics like super, that. Are kind super of pure. We used, we used to use them for room mics. Sometimes it would just add, add something. And um, Claremont did this thing on on us that big bamboo mountain by uh, Wall and Oz. He mixed up this and the other room, and he had this stereo plate thing. Yeah, and we did, we did a little industrial espionage. I want to know how we got this friggin' rework was amazing right so the, the woman that, that that managed electric lady at the time good friends with their road manager and who's also the sound man well that's the sound man okay carl yeah well he talked her into talking one of the assistants into making a copies of all this uh, total recall because we had the same console and we had plates you know what i mean yep i got as close as i could but like without those two mono plates one on one side and one on the other there was no way i got I got as close as I could, but I could never get John Caffrey wanted that that reverb on this album I mixed in between the two new kids albums. Actually. Maurice did the backgrounds on that with a couple of girls. But like uh, you know, we were even doing industrial espionage, you know, getting TR sheets and desk stuff for people. Sometimes, you know, each one's different, you know, it's like every microphone's different. Yep, those two are last Kelly record I did, that thing it was a the record of the year that stayed the same thing. Yep. U87s on vocals. Well, I don't hate the mic. It's just not my first choice. Let's put it that way. And uh, I went through every mic I had, which was quite a lot of mics. And it was this one old 87 from the late 60s. She sounded great on about, I don't know, 14 inches away at an angle like you see in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I usually get closer than that, you know, but she sounded great on me. So, you know, I didn't fight it. You know what I mean? I said, well, it sounds good on me. He was have to put away the C12s and the 251s and the 47s and the, all the fancy stuff. What works, works. I mean, sometimes it's a surprise. I mean, the, the Elam 251 is a mic that we love and rent sometimes, uh, and but they're not all the same. Like, there's one particular one that everybody always wants, and it's oftentimes it's rented out. And it, it, it's like you said, they're, not, they're no two exactly alike, you know? Which, which piece of that? The 251, an Elam, you know, a, a vocal mic, a 251. Oh, yeah. Well, that's basically, that's electronically identical to the earlier C12s and 701 case. Okay. It's the same capsules, the same electronics. What happened was, Telefunk and now was the only German corporation that's strong enough to export things that wasn't completely destroyed by the bombing. Okay. So they imported Neumann. So all the early 47s all have Telefunk and stickers on them. 
And then when Neumann got their own thing, you know, so Neumann kept that same telefunken type diamond. They didn't want to confuse people in marketing. So Neumann stole that diamond and thing. It's a Neumann on it. It looked just like the telefunken diamond. Yeah, that's right. You want to know where that comes from. But then they hooked onto AKG instead of doing the C12s, which became a huge hit again. Everybody loved those too, right? Yeah. AKG gets their own. Gets, but that's Austrian, but, you know, Austria, Germany. Germany, what it all same kind of thing. And, and, so, so they were dumping. Uh, so, Telefunk goes, "Well, make something for us, and could you make it a little cheaper?" So they, so they took it and made it in a cheaper box that was shorter, and it wasn't as heavy as gauge steel, and it made it kind of yellow. Yeah. And they only instead of on an on a, on the old C12, you can go all the way around from figure eight all the way to Omni. Okay, you got that parametric pickup thing. Yeah. Two fifty ones are just like an eighty seven. You know, got figure eight Omni and um, Cardio. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was it was basically a down market C12. I see. The thing is, at some point, uh, late 50s or so, AKG decided that the 6072, which is basically a 12AU7, which was a cleaner, quieter uh, tube, and they started changing the C12s, but they never did in the uh, 251s, the 701Ks. And that's why some people prefer the 7. If you get them, if you get them made both in around the same time with the same tube. They saw it, it, the, there's a bigger difference from mic to mic than there is from model to model, if that makes any sense. It, it is the same capsule in the same electronics. The difference is they change the tube on the C12 in the end. The 251s are a lot, they made a lot less of them, so not there's less of them, so there's worth more money. But you're talking about basically the same microphone. Yeah, and you, all these mics have histories. You know, it's like, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, you're just like spitting into it. I mean, it's like every mic is going to be treated differently over a course of decades. So it's going to, some are going to, you know, pre- preserve better than others. So that's why it's kind of hit or miss. You know, it's kind of tough to invest in something like that because you don't really know until you know. Like somebody like you can sit there and listen and go, okay, yeah, that's a good one, you know? <laughs> but it's easy. It would be easy. I, I had, like, I had 447s. So I had a name for each one. Yeah. I had like about six of those. Six of those uh, silver 414s in the 70s, EBs, those things were amazing mics. Those things, that's all the new kids on top, all that stuff now, okay? A lot of hit records on those. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Mercury. I mean, everybody used those, okay? And 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 um, I had different names for different ones for different things. So there I mean, you go. You get, you get to know they, them. They were they're like friends. You get to know well, what my they... My first pair of those are 750 bucks brand new. It's crazy. You can, I, I see them now in Reverb for 700 $7,500 for one. It's insane, right? Well, they got original CK-12 capsules, like a 251 or a original C-12. I got That's the sound. Like classic. I have a question for you. There's With the resurgence of vinyl and the, you know, the, do you see like the, a lot of people are starting to kind of get nostalgic about the way records used to sound? Like this is a conversation I had with, uh, I had Lenise Bent on here. I don't know if you know Lenise, but she, she you know, worked with Roger Nichols on a lot of the Steely Dan stuff like Asia and stuff. And, you know, she she has this philosophy about the reason why vinyl sounds, you know, so so good on certain things, is there's this in nature. There's a sine wave is smooth, and there's there's, you know, an infinite number of places in that sine wave. And and the minute the minute you get into digital, you know, you're you're approximating something. Something is is missing as a part of the format. So do you think that the the resurgence put a twelve k. Take an oscilloscope and look at a 14K square wave, right? Yep. And see what it looks like. A 14K square wave, square wave like out of an oscilloscope, yep. like, a, like an HP, like a real one. Now record a 44-1 on digital, 16 or 24-bit, don't matter. And see what comes out the other end. 
you will be horrible. That's why digital gets over because they measure it with analog specs. Yeah, there's no noise. Yeah, there's no this. There's no that. There's a whole do a whole new set of distortions. There's a paper that came out by Dr. John Diamond in 1980. Digital recording increases the stress in a human being by about 300 percent. That's so interesting. So there, there was something visceral. There was something there that was different. You know, and that you just summed it up with that doctor's statement because. And, and, and Dr. Me... John Diamond, I mean, you can Google it. He's got the whole he's he's got the whole paper there. I saw him say it at the 1980 AES show. I got to, I know the guy. That's amazing. See, this is an interesting I, thing. I, and I saw when Sony was trying to trying to sell that stuff this year. They had, that's why. Why do you think that Sony bought CBS Records? The voice through the to 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 to, to, to the CD on the world. Sure. You know, when Sony's trying to sell that, oh, endless copies without degradation, all the record companies uh, present going by. Yeah, right. That's a great idea. That was really smart. Now they're wearing out after about 40 plays and we can sell them another one. It lasts forever and you can make endless copies. It's not a good business model. No, no, it really isn't. And and there was something missing. Uh, you know, and Lenise kind of put me on the spot and she said, you know, there's there's the ones and zeros. And she said, how many do you think are missing? And I, I just, and, and, and it was just kind of threw me for a loop because I really never thought about it. But basically there's, there's definitely something missing. And if you listen to, you know, she was talking about, um, she recorded um, the logical song with the uh, super tramp, like the, on the floor live. And she said, you know, they, this was at the village and they, they, they listened back on those great big giant tenors, you know, and the way that it moves your body and the way that it, 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 you know, it's so visceral. It's so like physical and it's, it's just different, you know, hearing it off of the, the two inch tape. And, and she said, it, it's so it, warm and enveloping and friendly. Yeah. You connect with music in a different way. And, uh, you know, you talk like this and a lot of people look particularly, at particularly if you're good at aligning tape machines. Of course. Yeah. You need to have that right. You got to know the tricks. You can't always listen to the manufacturers over bias and a lot of the things they say to do. You have to take it, do it to their spec at first and then find out where it really is. There's a lot of tests for that, but this is technical that could go on forever. No, ever, but it's but really, it's so fascinating, Phil. And I really, it's important that people, you know, hear this kind of stuff because it's like, you know, a lot of times when, when I talk like this to somebody, I, I don't have knows firsthand as much as you do, but sometimes a lot of people will look at you like you have two heads, like, oh, that that's bullshit. Like, you know, um, you know, the whole analog versus digital thing, they'll say, well, the, the, you know, that's bullshit. And like you said, that doctor said that it was the stress. No, the stress comes from some kind of fatigue on your ears or whatever it is. Well, he had a stress clinic in Minnesota, you know, and, and starting around 78, he said, so you see his classical music cause, and put, you know, EKG kind of things all over people, you know, little, you know, things to measure you. And uh, he found certain kinds of classical music would like really reduce stress dramatically in a stressed out business people that came to his clinic in Minnesota. Yep. Then he put a, he put an album on and all, all the millions of pennies said, well, you're not going to use this one. So they ended up all going in a closet and they ended up being more and more of these records. So he finally said, what did he say? They must have something in common because they all do the same thing. Telark, digitally recorded. Wow. It was vinyl. That's what they had in common. So he, he compiled all of this all of this data over about a year and a half. And That's fascinating. When I went to the when he spoke. I have to share this with Lenise because she's going to be really happy to hear that that, that because sometimes people like look at her like she's crazy when she's talking like that. But... No, she's not crazy at all. In the hands of somebody who really knows how to align it, it, hey, 
That thing, that thing you really like that did live? Now, listen to an MCI 600, which is not a fancy, I mean, MCI 400, 136, which is not a fancy console, onto an ATR 104, one left, two right, like I said, three yep. nuts and four empty. Yeah. Sounds amazing at 30. Yeah. That's it. One generation of tape, so an analog console with great mics. There's something that happens with the transients, something that happens with the transients that makes them more pleasing and more impactful in the right way there there's the harshness is gone you know i think that's one of the things i miss about drums like analog drums just have a certain that's why i say hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Square waves. The, way, the easiest way to measure the transient response of a machine is with square waves. If it won't reproduce a square wave, it really won't reproduce a, a, a transient very well. That's why square, the one big test, if you want to get out of the way, like usually something sounds good. I use my ears, but if there's any empirical way with equipment of testing or something sounds good, putting a square wave swing and see if a square, the same square wave comes out of it is probably the easiest test. If it really fucks up the square wave, it's probably going to really fuck up the sound. In my, in my experience. No, that's this is just really interesting and valuable because they, how do you have a DAW? You know, if somebody comes in with a scope, put like a twelve k square wave into it or fifteen, really go for it, and and see what comes off the other end. It ain't going to look nothing like what went in. Now do it on an analog deck. It'll round it'll round the edges off a little to smooth it out. Yeah, that tells the whole story. It really does. Yeah, I wanted to talk about pickup patents and microphones. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's don't know how to use them and stuff. Yeah, let's talk about that. I like it. Well, let's say, you know, you, you got a guy there with a acoustic guitar and a vocal, okay? Yeah. So if you punch in on a vocal, you're actually, you're going to change your acoustic guitar song because you got leakage, right? Yeah. If you punch in on a guitar, you're going to change your, your, the, the, the vocal song because you got leakage, right? Yeah. But if you put them both in figure eight and point the null, which is the center of the figure eight, you know, it's like back and front, nothing in the middle. It's right. completely facing. Figure eight means front and back out of 180 out of completely facing it. Okay. You put the no, the vocal mic and aimed it right at the guitar hole where most of the sound's coming. Then you take that figure eight mic on the guitar and aim it at the mouth. You can actually punch in on that track and nobody will hear it. That's amazing. I found out 
the, the, the crosstalk on an analog machine is about the same. You know it if you get the mics exactly in the way. It takes a little trial and error to get them just exactly right where they need to be, I'm sure. I don't want to know that because I was, I, was I was an assistant at the Fedco Audio Truck. That's, I was a producer. I produced it records like starting in 72, but I did not engineer. I, I realized I wasn't going to really work until I learned how to engineer. So I was a musician. I was a guitar player. Band, yeah. you know? um, and so, you know, I was in this band with my bass player was the chief engineer. And he, he, so we were recording for free because we had a truck in front of a rehearsal hall. We'd bring the snake up into them. You know, we had a 48 track truck with an APA out there, you know. And so he said, hey, anybody else here want to learn how to use this stuff? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of having to overdub on my bass rides. And I hand up. I said, I don't mind overdubbing guitar. So he threw this book at me about this stack, about 1,400 pages called Modern Recording Techniques. Not the digital one, the original analog one. He said, will you understand every word in that? I'll let you, under, I'll let you touch equipment. And that's kind of my style. They're not an engineer. Wow. And, but the same with the live stuff. Like they were doing Elton John and a band and Rolling Stones, Rapton Company. They were doing everybody, right? That was like them and Wiley Hyder were like Z2 remotes in the United States, right? They had the East Coast. You had to, you know, kind of split it to Mississippi. Yeah. And, and um, when you're out there at those things, the only separation you do have a microphone pickup. Uh, think about it. The, the, the people went with plastic glass around amps like. Joe Bonamass and shit. That shit didn't exist back then. They were, they were putting gobos between shit. They were setting up like they were gigging and you recorded it. Yep. Yeah, it was leakage into everything and that was part of the sound. I mean, I brought, when I did the first thing with Billy at Montreux, because they, they, they had like these 5,000 watt side fills on either side and was regurgitating all this crap back on his drum mics and said, Billy, what if I get you a good set of headphones and a GC300 right on the stage and did a, a mix off the knee because they have a knee there? He said, cool. He said, what do you think? He said, I can, it's, it's like like being in the studio. I can hear everything. I said, well, yeah, that's kind of why we're doing it like that, you know? We had no problem doing it. Most drummers don't like that. You know I mean? It's hard to get them to do that live. Yep. The biggest problem with live recording is like uh, side fills and freaking monitor or, or wedges right by monitor. Oh, I mean, it's just garbage. It's, it's garbage just muddying everything up. You know, you know, you know Tom Dowd, right? How he did the the live at Fillmore, the Allman Brothers uh Record, you know that one? Yeah, well, he tried. He tried that once with their first album. It didn't work, but it did work at the Soul Maurice. Yeah, I just think that's one of the the best sounding uh, live albums. Uh, I wonder what he was doing, Tom Dowd. I believe he tried that once at Criterion before, but they weren't really ready. They were a band that wanted needed an audience. Well. I see. Yeah, that that was really the second released record, I think. I, I'm as a kid, I I was obsessed with that album. I could just li- I never get tired. Oh yeah. Of- well, you know what, all the changes in, in time signatures, I mean, it's even the fusion shift stuff in it, you know? Yeah, for the, uh, the memory. You know, like of an 8-up, a 7-8 in there and all kinds of, you know, they, they, they're, they're playing around. And the double drums were just, just amazing, the, the, the way that it was recorded, just crazy. I opened for them a few times. Nice. Back when I was, back when I was a musician for a living. You're a, I, love, I love your guitar playing. I've heard you, over the years, I've heard stuff that you, you've done, you've sent me. I played a lot of guitar on a new kid stuff. Yeah. I was a lead guitar anyway. I I was using Bobby Keith for rhythm because, like, when you when you're producing an engineer, and sometimes a pain in the ass to play rhythm. It's just, it's just too much stop and go. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. A lot of solos. Problems. You just pick it up, play a solo, put it back in the case. You know, that's easy. You get a sound. You know, if you're not, you play it. If you're not in the mood, put it in the case. Try it again in four hours and are in the mood. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't believe since sitting there playing twenty solos is stupid. I, I'm People guilty. do that. I, I just never got that. <laughs> I'm guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I never got that because the first one's usually the best one. Yeah, but usually. it might have a mistake in it. I'm not a great guitar player, so like I, I kind of rely on 
stealing magic from a bunch of different places to make magic. So it's that's just the way I do it. But you know, yeah, I cheat. Remember Bobby Gay, that that alto player to play with No Man. Oh, I played with Bobby on the road with Dale. He was out on the road with us. Great player. Kind of a nasty sound at Yamaha Alto. It was a little nasty sound, but I lived with it because he played he's so good. He's so good. Bobby's you know, so good. Sylvia Alto we had that Yamaha. It, was kind of, it wasn't the nicest sound of what I ever heard, but it played so good. I lived with it. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he'd like to do a million takes of everything. He's yeah. a perfectionist. Yeah. As soon, what, whenever he played a solo, I, I just recorded six dBs louder because I knew when the tape was rolling, he'd crank it. So I give myself like a lot of room because I know this guy's going to go bang, okay? And, uh, most of the stuff on the records I used with him was the first one. I, as a matter of fact, I'd have my assistant stand in front of the tape deck so he wouldn't see the fucking red light go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's run it down. Let me get a level. Yeah. Oh, that's usually the best one. Yep. Yeah, and do some licks warming up to the solo. That's why I can, I, you know, and play them good and hard so I can get my level. Solo comes up, bang. That's said, awesome. I said, I'm trying to do the solo. I said, you just did. That's wonderful. I said, not now you can get the licks in the first half because you can get those. I was getting levels on those. I've never, <laughs> I've, I've never been in a session recording drums with you, but you have a reputation for being a little bit hard on drummers. Is that is it? Tell me about that. We can only get out of a drum what somebody puts into it. You're a drummer. Yep. Yep. You're known. You were known mostly back when I knew you as a drummer. Yep. Yep. Back in the day. Yeah, you were considered a very good drummer. Well, thank you. And and, you know, it's. I got to say, just about everything getting hit that has a Remo ambassador on it helps. Yeah. Obviously, having a good some good shells helps. But like sitting there and really working with the drummer, tuning them, and getting getting his intervals between the top and bottom heads. Sure. If you use like a minus third on the bottom head and and have the top head about a about a minus third higher than the bottom head, it almost takes all ring right out of it. So you don't have to put like crap all over the drum. Sure. I hate, you know, they they come into the studio with like Campexes and Gapis tape and oh, God knows what. That's like that drums. That, well, that was in style. You know, if there was a period where that was this, you know, the the sound, the Beatles thing, like that was like the wallet on the snare. And yeah, the, and... I, I let's put it this way: I, Steve Smith took me to Power Station, and what I watched him record Steve Smith, Bob Clare, and Rob record him on a Brian Adams record that was number one for eight weeks. I know which one. And yeah, that changed my whole outlook about that. Like really quickly amazing yeah when i heard what he was getting i go okay and i was already doing pretty good drums anyway yeah bob is like uh, well he's just a a master tell us a little bit about what you witnessed well it wasn't so much about the way he mic'd him i mic'd him pretty much the same it was the way number one he wasn't he he was letting him ring drums ring yeah but they do yeah you know like when you yeah you get a close snare drum you hear it goes doing 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 but you bring up the overheads and bring up everything else it goes pow it sounds like a snare drum Bring up a few ambient room mics. It sounds like a drum. Sure. But what I learned, uh, uh, Billy Cobb, too, because Billy Cobb wouldn't do a sound check when you were in the studio. Yeah. Get there and he'd play for 15 minutes. And at the end, he said, you get your level sound, man? He'd walk away. That was it. And I learned, I better get a drum sound right now and here and there because I'm going to live with it for a whole hour. Yeah. Did he? Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. 
Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. He play really hard. I've always wondered. I've always thought that he was... Sometimes. Yep. Sometimes. I, he destroyed my favorite snare mic for one shot. Wow. <laughs> Broke it right now. Okay? I, you know what I finally started doing them? I used to take the silver 414s and sneak it underneath the hi-hat. You'd have to go through the hi-hat to get at it. Put it on cardioid, which would reject the hi-hat, and i put it about that far off the, the head and about halfway on a, on a rim, so it'll go down the side and get the snares, and then the other half to get the head, the head bang, bang. I see. I just started using that mic because it had a really tight pickup cotton. And he'd have to go through the pair of Zildjian hi-hats to get to the fucking thing. So, and it sounded great. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was like a protective mechanism. Absolutely. You don't want to break those. Yeah, he could, he could hit the shit out of them. That's what I love about that you know, thing you said, I, that when you want to do this interview, you said, boy, that's fucking amazing. Now, there's so much dynamic. That's analog. You can't hear the hiss. Yeah. There's almost no level, and then it gets louder and louder and louder, and then it gets softer and softer and softer. It's analog with no compressor, right? And And... And I, I think I look at that and I say, that's the only time in my life I ever saw Billy Cobb afraid to hit the drums too well. It's <laughs> like Kirby and Ron were, it, it had this thing going on. And like I even heard him hear this percussion thing. I can see his hands. I was getting, if you look at that, that whole show, I got everything except that. He's sitting this one thing. He's sitting this so soft. Like, I got mics there, but like, you got to hit the damn thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not a magician. I'm just an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was alive too. Amazing. Maybe with a remix, I could have found this song. Wow, Phil. This is good Where stuff. Where do I the Director wouldn't let me mix it again because he liked the song. He was right. I'm glad he did. Fantastic. I said, I was about to mix it. And the director said, no, you're not mixing that one. You already mixed that one. I said, when I mixed it, I said, when you recorded it. Well, I got in the truck. I went, we're using it. You sent it a truck when we, when we did, you know, the video truck. We're using it. Said, okay. You know, it's just... I get paid the same for song. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't have to it. And then I then I kind of listen to it. And I go, yeah, I, I'm the first song. There's a little too much overheads, a little too much cymbals. By the middle of that, that it calmed down. Besides, every time you hit the cymbal too hard, you you get hit really going over and give him a dirty look. Hey, cut that shit out. We're not doing fusion. Wow. And you know what I mean. And then you can see Billy, you know, Kirby's a great guy. That's a, there's a guy I miss. Fucking great player. Great what? guy. Wonderful. Double Jack Black on the rocks. Me, him, and Tommy Chung used to go drinking, and Tim Linders and Gene Brown used to go drinking every night. And Tom Sawyer used to tag along a lot. Tommy, I love Tommy. Uh, you know, Tom, he was he used to tag along. These stories are just amazing, and um, I, I, it's it's fantastic. Um, I wanted to see if you had any like advice for young people coming up in this all digital world with all plugins and no real gear. You know, what 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 advice would you give to kids? Starting out, that that what is that? Learn how to use use microphones. Learn how to put the right microphone on the right sound, and make sure it sounds good before you use all that crap. Because if it don't get into that converter, you can jump, you can do backflips. It's never going to get out of that converter. Yep, that's. Good. I mean, I know that sounds simplistic, but no, it's, it's real. It's how we started the interview. You were talking about normally the first place we spent our money before I had any money was buying up all the used microphones I could get up. Every studio was going out of business. All the old studios, the four tracks with all the tubies and stuff. Yeah, they wouldn't know what they were worth. I'd be, I, you know, I'd be looking around. I buy old microphones. I'd be buying everything. I realized if I got that end of it, 
I could go through consoles, monitors, tape decks, everything else. We're just you get getting better. But like, if you start good, it's just going to get better. A lot of people forget about that end of it. It's the most important end of it. Sure, I and I think a reason a lot of music today, um, you know, I, I'm not one of these. Uh, get off my lawn, everything sucks. But because there's some fantastic experimental music being made in all different styles and genres. But I think just hum- the humanity of people playing and being and capturing a performance. Is has sort of gone by the wayside with all the sampling and and everything else, and that's all fun and it's all great. But I think I'm I think we're going to start seeing, and I, even I'm seeing, people wanting. I wish they they have a rebirth of that 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 European jazz festival thing like they used to, but I don't think they'll see it. Sure, just the, the just the humanity part of music I think is is never going to die, and I I I kind of get on my soapbox and like to say. You know, there's something magical about people playing together, and like the, the emotion that you create is is a lot different than. Hey, when's the last time you saw a straight ahead jazz act at Montreal? Oh wait, like I sometimes I like to not be a producer and just be a capturer. Yep, a capturer. That's, That's a great. whole lot in itself. It you is. You know, getting out of the way so they don't hear you at all. That's wonderful. And leaving no none of your mark on the music, just hearing the music. That's brilliant. That's the That's the hardest thing to teach Tom. Yeah, a capture. Let's hear the frigging music first. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. You know, it's a capturer. A capturer. Music. Yeah, I I like that. A capturer. Capture. Know when to stay out of the way. Yeah. Now people using sample libraries didn't even play half of the shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, capture is getting to be a. You still got to sing. Still got to play the acoustic guitar. Still got to play electric guitar. Yeah. Hopefully. Drums. Drums when they use them. I had Steve Ferroni on the podcast. Uh, you got to check that that episode out. He's you know he's amazing and he's he's a good friend and he's just yeah he's gonna be playing on some stuff for me, and I just love his not to piss Billy Cobham off but the two the two the three best I ever recorded with Vinnie Colaiuta, Louis Belson, and Steve Smith in that order. Wow, Louis Belson, that's crazy. So I I recorded him in Switzerland doing a drum battle with Billy Cobb. Amazing because Louis Belson was Billy Cobham's hero when he grew up as he grew up. That's when the two bass drums ah, okay, makes sense. Belson invented that. So who won the battle? Lucy Cobham, you know, you know, we got it from. Who won the battle? Well, if you want slashing volume, I guess it'll be Billy. Yeah. If you want athleticism, it'll be Billy. If you want pure sophistication and fucking immaculate time and precision, and and uh, what we call it uh, discipline, Louis. In a way, he could conduct a whole big band with just his high hat stick. Yeah. He used it as a conductor stick. Why he played the high hat? The guy was a fucking master. Wow! I saw him with a whole big band, like with all the Bracket Brothers and Soul Up, and the guy with a trombone, you know, and a penny flute, you know, Howie Johnson, everybody, Tom Malone, everybody, Marini, all the guys, right? All, all the best guys in the world, right? He's got this big band. He goes through like uh, thirty seconds ahead of each song. 30, 30 seconds the outro of each song, and that was the rehearsal. <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, what else we do? He said, follow my stick. I'll point to whoever I want to solo. Yeah. And that was, it. that was it. He rehearsed the band for a whole uh, an hour and a half of big band. He probably rehearsed them in 20 minutes. Amazing. The show came off perfect. Wow. That's a profession. Wonderful. Well, Phil, it's been so great to have you on here. We've got two episodes in the can. We're going to revisit this down the road you're just full of wisdom and wonderful stories and i we barely scratched the surface in these two episodes um you no know, so i didn't dive into the digital plug-in thing at all yeah you know because everybody you talk to is going to talk about that 
Does it I have got my favorite plugins. I got my favorite converters, just like everybody else. But yeah. like, why why talk about it? Because everybody, I'm sure, has already talked about it. Hey, if you have something you'd like to add, like what, give us some of your favorite. Well, I think that Fab filter limiter on ASN is like like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, but we like, you know. We, yeah, we love that too. That's yeah. Yeah, everybody loves that. Yeah, they love it at Sterling. Everybody loves it. Yeah, it's, it's like the world. It's how the world gets loud. Yeah, <laughs> that's a T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got plugins. I like I like UAD stuff in general. Oh, we do too. Know? Yeah, yeah. I love that SSLE strip though. Yep. I, I love both the UAD Poltec and uh, the, the Waves Poltec. They're different, but I like them both for different things. Yep. Wave stuff in general is not as good. Sound Toys has some interesting shit. Love Sound Toys. I love their stuff. It's some pretty scarily operative stuff. You know, they're doing things I didn't think were possible. Wonderful. I was doing a demo. I was writing with my girlfriend, writing this country song. I just played it into my cell phone because the guitar yep. was live. He separated my acoustic guitar and my voice to my guitar, my voice, put some reverb on it, EQ'd it a little, and made it sound, it's not almost like a damn record. It's crazy. Would you do that? But it's isotrope plug-in. Or producing a London, you know? Change, <laughs> yeah. That the, impressed me, huh? The technology is always changing. Technology has grown a lot in the last six months, trust me. Yeah, it really is nuts. It's getting scarily good. Yeah, I, I heard it at Sterling Sound like two years ago. Randy, at Randy, you know, a guy just Taylor Swift, Randy. Uh, Can't think of his last Randy name. Randy Merrill. Okay, yeah. You know, and he, had, he was trying to do that. The isotope stuff wasn't working that well, but it's working now. Yeah, some people love it. That, I, you know, that, that first edition, it's working. Wow. And I think other people are doing it maybe even better. That's another whole topic for another time is like, you know, somebody yeah, said that, that plugin is the one I've been the most impressed with in the last few years. Yeah. You know, the rest of them, I just copy what I do. I use a Neve, I use an SSL, I use a Boltec, I use URI compressors. Instead of reinventing the wheel, I just use the stuff I always use. It's yeah. easy. There you go. Well, Phil, wonderful. Great to have you on. It's uh, fantastic to see you. And it's, I, a, it's, it's an honor, Mr. Rester. I know they call you Ajax as your handle in the business. Oh, it's all good. You had so many wonderful things to say. The whole thing about that doctor and the digital versus analog, that's just crazy stuff. Thanks, man. Studio Secrets A to Z, Anthony J. Resta signing off. Keep in touch, Phil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. Fantasy Points.